Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Father Scott Santarosa is the provincial superior of the Jesuits West province of the United States. In English, that means he leads the Jesuits in the territory encompassing the 10 westernmost states of the Union. Even more importantly, at least for our purposes today, Father Santarosa is a die-hard Los Angeles Dodgers fan and a borderline baseball obsessive. One of my own character flaws is rooting passionately for the New York Yankees, so I thought it'd be fun for Father Santa Rosa and me to represent our rival teams in a conversation about baseball during the highly stressful postseason. When we talked recently, both of our teams were still alive with a shot to reach the World Series, but the Dodgers were eliminated by the Washington Nationals a couple of days later, so my deepest apologies to Scott for jinxing his team. Sorry, not sorry. We chatted about modern developments in the game as baseball is trying all sorts of experiments to win over new fans. I also asked Father Scott why he thinks baseball is a road to God. Finally, he talked just a bit about, well, you know, his actual work and what he was doing here with his fellow provincials in Washington, D.C. last week. Please remember to subscribe to AMDG wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a nice review on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Well, Father Scott Santa Rosa, thanks so much for coming on AMDG. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. So we are meeting in person in Washington. Now, you are usually based on the West Coast, but you are here for meetings with your fellow provincials from around the United States and Canada. But we're here to talk about baseball. And why I think those things are interesting, the way they line up, is that your beloved Los Angeles Dodgers are here in Washington playing the Nationals in the first round of the, uh, the National League postseason. Um, so my question for you, the most important question is, did you attend last night's Game 3, or do you have plans to attend tonight's Game 4? Well, I have to honestly say no and no. Oh, shucks. Well, that's too bad. Uh, I, um, you know, I certainly was watching the game last night. I will be watching the game tonight. I cannot go to bed until there's some resolution, and hopefully it's a happy one, as it was last night. Well, that's right. They could clinch. Now, by the time that people are hearing this, we will have known what had happened, but now we wait and hope, at least on your behalf. Not here in town, though. People are anxious in town, hoping for the Nationals to stage some sort of comeback, but... I don't feel great about their odds, but we'll see. We don't want to jinx things either with the knock on the wood table we're sitting at now. So uh, again, your, your reputation in the Jesuit world is being one of the biggest baseball fans we have. Um, tell me about that. How You're a big Dodgers fan. Where did that come from? How did that fandom develop? Well, it, it came quite naturally. My grandmothers on both sides of my family were Dodgers fans. My dad was and is a Dodgers fan. So I would say it's like growing up Catholic. I just was born into it. I became a Dodgers fan. I didn't know anything else. Some, some would say I didn't know anything better. Some <laughs> so, would say I didn't know anything else. So if your grandmothers were fans, does that mean do you have roots, family roots on the East Coast in Brooklyn back to those days? Or? No, um, my, my grandmother from Italy did pass through Ellis Island. Um, but uh, you know, in those days, you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers were a really kind of a national team. So out in California, my other grandmother in Texas, they followed the... The, um, the Dodgers as a national team, I think, really, in a way. 
and they just passed that right along to their grandson. That's funny that they were in very different places, not close to the East Coast, but had found their way yeah. there. And now I, as I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm used to the national fandom, but of course that rivalry, at least in the 1940s, 50s, was a, a big one uh, in, in New York. Uh, so, all right, so you have some roots that are, even though you're on the West Coast now, where maybe even started in Brooklyn, but then obviously they made their way to Los Angeles. So so the Dodgers have uh, been an interesting team to root for over the past few years. Yep. Um, really good in the regular season. They haven't quite gotten it done yet. Even making the World Series, but not being able to push it across. That's right. Uh, the end there. That's right. You know, um, I remain hopeful. I will always be hopeful, and whether they win or lose, uh, I will always be a Dodgers fan. I'll always bleed Dodger blue. I have to say, honestly, there's some part of me that um, prefers the regular season over the postseason. And I love the run-of-the-mill games, the ones right in the middle of May or June or July that kind of are overlooked or forgotten. Um, those kind of sleepy games, I think, are really the essence of baseball. And what happens in the postseason, well, to the rest of the world matters greatly and to sports writers, like for those for the LA Times who are demanding a championship, I feel, uh, of course I want that too, but I also feel quite happy with the run-of-the-mill season games. Isn't that, that's, I mean, the thing about baseball that distinguishes it from every other sport, that there are 162 games in the regular season. It is every an everyday affair. Uh, and so we have a chance to be, at least for me, a little extra happy or disappointed almost every day in those six months. <laughs> I kind of live and die with that. Uh, despite knowing that, hey, there's only one, but you know, there are some of those games, those regular season games and that you'll remember uh, for for whatever reason. Um, but this, this is a time now, of course, where, right, as you're saying, even though you have this long year in which determines which teams are the best, it all boils down to these very small sample size series and just a handful of games. But the Dodgers uh, were the best team in the National League this year. So what, what helped for folks who are not big Dodger diehards uh, bring us into the season? What, was, what enabled them to uh, do such a, a good job this year? Well, I think one of the things that distinguishes this team is they have a lot of fight. There were a number of games where they were down and came back later in the game. Um, so even when they weren't completely dominant, at the beginning of the season, they were quite strong and dominating. The end of the season, less so. And they had to fight and scratch. And I think that, that kind of taught that they, they have some character. So I think that's one of the things this team has that distinguishes it from the last two years. I think they have very good pitching. Have, they have great depth and, and kind of an unselfish nature on the part of the players that players are willing to sacrifice playing time, to playing their prime position, all for a greater good. And I think all these things bode really well for a long postseason. So three great starting pitchers this year, maybe even four, depending on how they're doing. Strong closer, at least in the bullpen, and an MVP candidate, young MVP candidate. So. Cody Tell us about Mr. So Mr. Bellinger, Cody, Cody Bellinger's father, Clay Bellinger, was my favorite player on the Yankees of the late 90s because he had been in the minor leagues for 10 years and had toiled and finally made it to the Yankees. His son is much more talented than he was uh, and has already surpassed him in all his career statistics. So tell us a little bit about Cody Bellinger, one of, I think my, one of my favorite players in, in the game. Well, I think now. one of the fun things about watching Cody is, I, first of all, I think he is, I, you know, I don't know him personally, obviously, yet. <laughs> but he seems to be in these interviews quite a humble guy and not, you know, he's not drawing attention to himself. Um, but the second thing I want to say is that he's become a more mature player, more patient player. So to see him in the batting box, he's a much more discerning, much more discerning about balls and strikes and gets a lot more walks this year. 
and that's just he's just become a stronger uh, batter. He's always been a really good fielder. He's fast. He's versatile. He can play center field, Golden Glove candidate for center field, but also first base. Um, and just you know, uh, so last night he finally got his first two hits in the postseason. I think we were all somewhat despairing until then, but I think eventually things come around and the law of averages proves itself. And he's an over 300 hitter, so you're not going to keep an over 300 hitter down for that long. Yeah. So he. Um... He is, I guess, probably one of the two finalists for the MVP this year. And I think the argument on his behalf is that he plays better defense. So uh, in addition to being a, an incredible hitter across the board. So, so we'll see. Do you have any other uh, favorites on the, the current squad who you just love watching play? Well, I love Clayton Kershaw. Uh, his work ethic is you know, remarkable. And, and he has got such – all of his teammates admire him for that. Um, so he's, I really admire him. He's probably, he is my favorite player. I have a jersey of his. Okay. Now he's the, for folks who don't know, a very crafty left-handed pitcher who is probably the best pitcher of his generation, maybe a little bit past his prime now, yep. and someone who hasn't always had the most postseason success. That's right. Even though I think that's overstated. He has been good in the postseason, just maybe not as historically great as he has been in other times. So. Uh, he lost the other night, and I had a friend who's a Dodger fan online saying he wanted Clayton Kershaw to, to be one of his pallbearers at his funeral so he could let him down one last time, which I thought was quite unfair to Clayton Kershaw. Again, if you look at the body of work, is there. But hopefully he'll have a chance this postseason to have a few more starts mixed in uh, and to get a chance to do that. So he's a great one. I love Justin Turner, too, who is a... He's got a great, you know, he's a real team leader. Um, last night, he was, I think, three for four, three for five with a homer. Big homer, yeah. So he's the big redhead, big red beard, big red hair. He's an example of someone who I think represents a trend across baseball, of someone who was kind of a middling hitter, a lot of singles, doubles, and then changed his swing dramatically to aim for more power, and now is hitting dozens of home runs a season. And again, in a trend across baseball. So that was the big story of baseball this year, regular season, the record number of home runs across the league was shattered. Half of the league set their own team records for most home runs. Uh, it's just also the most strikeouts ever. Every year we set the new strikeout record. So there's a lot of debate about whether this is good for baseball or not. So what, what is your general take on the home run power surge right now? Is that good for baseball well, or not? I, well, I think one of the things that, that, in the, that the Major League Baseball is trying to do is to make it more marketable and more attractive to a wider audience. I, I find that a little frustrating. I, I would say you lose a little of the purity of baseball. So, um, because I think one of the beautiful things about baseball is what? It's long, the games are long, the season is long, and um, if you don't have eyes to see the beauty of what's happening before you and the subtleties, you can write it off as, you know, and flip the channel. Um, the, the, the home run thing, the thing that concerns me is that it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like a, a quick fix. It's like a sugar fix, just a, a sugar rush to keep people entertained. Uh, that's not really, if you really love baseball, you don't, I don't think most people think that's a great thing. I think uh, to watch strategy develop in a game, to watch, to have to see batters pass the baton, hit after hit, or walk. Those are, that's when the baseball is really interesting. Scratching across runs, um, the, the kind of boom of all the baseball home runs, I think is, it concerns me because I just don't want the game to give over to those who find it boring and they're trying to make it more interesting. 
Yeah, that, it, they've been a lot of debate about the actual baseball this year, which they say maybe the seams are lower than they used to be, which makes it harder to pitch well, and so that batters are hitting it and it's flying farther, so they might try to adjust the baseball. Because it is this real, last year was down, and this year is this huge kind of historic blip, both in the majors and in AAA minor leagues, where they use the same ball this year. They both saw this exponential increase in home runs hit. So there are debates about that. I have five other hot-button baseball issues yes, I want to ask you about. Yes, yeah, so again, as we're saying, there's a big debate now. How do you get younger fans, new fans to care about baseball? So they're trying out a bunch of things. They're experimenting with stuff in the minor leagues. They're trying some new things in the major leagues. Like they might bring in a pitch clock. There are all kinds of things they're trying. So I'm going to read you five statements. You have to choose um, one, true or false, whether you agree with that statement, and then tell me a little bit about why. So number one, something you just alluded to, baseball games take too long. True or false? Regular season, no. Postseason, yes. Okay, so what do you mean? Regular season, as I said, I think part of the love of baseball is that the games are long, the season's long. But the beauty is that kind of run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-season games. And if you think those are too long, I think you just need to find another sport. Postseason games are too long because there's so many pitching changes and every pitch is labored over. And some part of me feels like I wish that could be hustled along with it. Yeah, they do. A four-hour game for the, the first one I was watching the other night, uh, the Yankees uh, postseason series. It, it is true. They they do. It does stack up. Okay, number two. I like it when players flip their bats in celebration after mashing a long home run. True or false? False. I do not like that. You do not like that. You like the understated, yes. humble circling of the bases. I do. This is a big generational debate now yeah. uh, that there are fans who say, yeah, let the let the kids you know sh- demonstrate. And then there's let those the who... Yeah, exactly. That's a whole Major League Baseball campaign. They're doing that in their ad campaign versus the, again, the kind of classic don't, you know, don't show up the pitcher when you hit a home run or don't show up the hitter when you strike him out by pumping your fists too much. So that, of course, then leads to uh, unwritten rules violations and then and then pitchers respond by trying to hit batters with the ball. That is That seems old-fashioned. Me, I, I like it. I like the uh, uh, showing a little bit of spirit. I don't mind it uh, in... Uh, in my I, baseball game. What I do like is when they get it, do something great at the plate, and the first place they look to celebrate is to the dugout. Mm. Because what they're really, it's, it's much more about their community, right? I've just did something great for us. Sure. Let's celebrate that together. But the bat flip, I don't think, is a sign of that. That's just being. You know, everyone look what I do. Right, right. Okay, sure. Uh, I, do, I do agree, though, in terms of some of the team things. You see into the postseason as well, these different kind of rallying cries that teams have. And the one the Yankees are doing this year, I really enjoy. One of their uh, best players, their leaders, Brett Gardner, who's this old crusty guy, he got uh, thrown out of a game for being in the dugout and using the bat to hit against the roof of the dugout, showing displeasure at umpire call, standing up for his teammate who'd been called out on strikes. He got thrown out of the game for doing that. So now when a Yankee player gets on base after a good hit, they'll look in the dugout and they'll miss hitting the roof of the dugout with the bat. Uh, so all of these teams have their own little things that they yeah. do with those, those types of celebrations, right. which, no, are certainly... Uh maybe more in the spirit of uh, of the team and celebrating together. Um, I have a, a friend who collects photos of walk-off home runs. So again, the game ends in the last of the ninth or extra innings, the team wins, and his teammates come out to the plate and uh, greet him there, often dumping water on him, and there's yeah, a big celebration. Yeah, exactly. So he says that is a vision of heaven. Uh, <laughs> you see the, the walk-off home run I think that is. congregation. That's, that's, good. that's a good way to play. Yeah, so as long as it's your team or a team you don't really care about, then it, it's certainly... Uh, Certainly that. Okay, number uh, three. Teams in the National League should adopt a designated 
hitter, just like the American League has. False. Oh, see, this is a classic one, too. National League fans very much in favor of pitchers hitting. Why? Why are you against it? It completely changes the strategy of the game. So a manager has to really think twice when his, when his pitcher is pitching a good game, and yet they're still down a run or two. It's getting later in the game, like inning four, five, six. Do you swap out your pitcher, put in a, in a pinch hitter? Um, that's a really hard decision. American League doesn't even have to think about that. Um, the other thing is, is you know, as you're a pitcher, you might, to the eighth batter, uh, you might walk him, or you might pitch around him in a way, because you know the pitcher's coming up and he's probably not going to hit. Now sometimes that backfires. So I just think it's, it changes the game. Now, I, I do think it's, not, it's good that National and American League have that difference, because it changes up when they have to play each other. It changes the strategy and, and can even make for an incentive for why you want home field advantage in the postseason in the World Series and keep teams playing for that advantage because obviously the American League is going to want to have designated hitter as many games as possible. And obviously the National League is going to not want that as many games as possible. So uh, I think it's good that there's a difference. I hope the National League doesn't go for it. It's this fascinating thing about baseball. I think it shows kind of the old-fashioned nature of it is that a professional league that has different sets of rules depending on where you're playing, yeah, which right. is really like the, the only league in which you can still say that. Right. But thinking about the origins of the game with kind of the National League as the one league and then the upstart American League coming in the you know early uh, 1900s. So it's, it is funny, like a, a weird anachronism to me that that still exists. But the American League now for since the 1970s have had the designated hitter. And of course, as an American League fan, I am in favor of the DHs. I could not possibly imagine it any other way. So it is something that when you ask people, it very often aligns to the team that they root for how they prefer it. So we'll see what happens. There's been talk of making it universal uh, in addition to adding some some other things. Like in minor leagues right now, they're one of the leagues uh, where I, close to where I grew up in New Jersey. They, um, they're starting extra innings with a runner on second base to kind of speed the game along. I don't think I'm a purist. That one to me like is a little a bridge too far. Uh, so there are all these different ways of experimenting. Um, Let's do another topic. So this is number four. I'm going to ask you about advanced statistics. So sabermetrics is a big movement in baseball that has spread to other sports, trying to understand the game um, more deeply and more clearly with statistics like WAR and WOBA and FIP and all of these acronyms that stand for a bunch of different things. Uh, the statement is these tools are helpful for understanding baseball better. Do you agree or disagree? It depends on who you are. Um, I think people that want to quantify baseball, I think those things do help them understand it. But I think, I think the beauty of baseball is not about the quantities, but much more about, it's about something larger and grander and irreducible to a number. So um, I'm, I'm not a, I understand the importance of them. I mean, you see so, so many outs now because of the shift, and that's all due to sabermetrics and measuring where uh, batters tend to hit the ball and you know the Dodgers have been beneficiaries of that so I, I, I see the point of it I'm not going to deny the use of it uh, I myself don't really glory in that sort of thing I like I like the, the more mystical parts of it and you know the, the things you can't quantify like Kike Hernandez for example is just this great presence on the team in the clubhouse he's a spark plug he's funny he's fun and he's got this great baseball instinct. That's what they always talk about him. He's just got this great baseball instinct out there on the field. I think that's great. That's, I enjoy that. 
I agree, I also I agree with that. I also do love the numbers, and I remember going to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and there's one exhibit that essentially was just kind of career numbers, the leaderboards in terms of home runs and career ERA for pitchers, and just a huge, essentially a chalkboard of numbers, and dozens of, I was there with my dad, dozens of fathers and sons, other kids, people standing and staring at this board of numbers. I don't know if it's still there in the internet age, uh, but I, I do love that because of the number of games that are played, those numbers do add up, and as someone who I do see, a, there's something magical about that, you know, a 300 batting average uh, or, you know, a particular like, number of home runs that usually had been 500 historically, you know, of course that's changed with the um, steroid era, but there is something I, I love about uh, the numbers, while also not, again, if you look just at a screen and didn't see the games being played, then that wouldn't be fun either, but I do love how the baseball, more, I feel like more than other sports, brings those things together, and some of the mystical qualities with some of the, you know, the hard hard data and stats, and I'm fascinated by the ways that, the ways that they develop some of those statistics. Um, last one on this bullet, uh, this bullet point list, number five. This has also happened in the minor leagues in one league. They should replace umpires with robots who call balls and strikes. Absolutely no. <laughs> there is no. That part of the beauty of the game is the is the human factor, and that and that I love the fact that I mean I hate the fact, but I love the fact that balls and strikes can't be disputed by by instant replay. Um, it's a, the human factor is an important part of baseball, and I would hate to see that lost. Yeah, we we are moving. I feel like we are moving in that direction. It's interesting to see this one league again experimented it with this year. They, I know there's a, there's a documentary coming out. Um, I think the, this month about uh, an umpire named Jim Joyce who was uh, umpiring a game a few years ago when there was a pitcher uh, Galarraga on the Tigers who was one out away from a perfect game and looked like he had the last out to complete this very rare accomplishment. And the umpire made the wrong call, and so he lost his perfect game. And so like this is now, uh, of course, now they have the replay it would have been overturned but in that moment they, they didn't have it and so the next day uh, the umpire get, saw the replay he knew he had been wrong and was just devastated and the player uh, came out at the beginning of the game to exchange lineup cards and kind of give a pat on the back to the umpire to, who was in tears showing him like you know we all make mistakes and even though that was a poorly timed one yeah it was a, a beautiful moment that maybe shouldn't have had to happen but the, the kind of um, coming together after such a, a breakdown was a was yeah. a cool thing to see yeah. so yeah but we'll see again they're moving moving this direction, uh, but not without a lot of debate. So thank you for engaging me in some uh, some debate. Uh, so I want to get to some of the more mystical qualities of baseball you talked about, uh, mentioned briefly earlier. We were setting up this conversation. You referenced the line, uh, Baseball is a Road to God, which is a book title by the author John Sexton, who wrote a book based on a, a college course he teaches by that name in, uh, in New York at New York University. Uh, why do you think baseball is a road to God? Well, um you know, so that, that book title really caught my attention when a Jesuit priest, an older Jesuit priest, a long-time high school teacher gave me that book. And I read the first chapter, and then a, a friend of mine, I gave it to her because she was she's very much into sports and, and how sports is a, is a pathway to God. Um, I think, you know, anything obviously can really be a pathway to God. Anything that is interesting to us and calls our attention that we're passionate about, I think, you know, participates in the divine. And, um, you know, that's the transcendentals that Thomas Aquinas uh, taught. Um, but baseball, I think there's so many aspects of the game which are a road to God. Um, and you and I were speaking earlier. You know, the fact that patience is such an important part of the game. Uh, it's a nine-inning game, so you can be up early in a game and it can go anyway. You 
know, and, and, and life is very much like that. And our, and our relationship with God is, is like that. It takes a lot of twists and turns. It's, it's, I think, faithfulness to the process. You'll hear Dave Roberts after a game, even if, if a player doesn't do so well. The manager of the Dodgers. Yeah, he'll say, it's the, you know, the, the guy's faithful to the process. And I like our process. And you kind of think, well, it's not producing the results. But the belief is, if you're faithful to the process, it will produce results. And that's true in the spiritual life, is if we're faithful to our prayer every day and to being in relationship with God, which goes through highs and lows like any relationship, it goes through doldrums and ex exciting moments, it's that, it's that faithfulness to the relationship which is going to pay off in what? In joy and happiness and a sense of peace and fulfillment. And um, so that's one of the things, that's why, what's one of the reasons why I think uh, base, baseball is a, is, a, is a spiritual thing. Um, you know, it's also, uh, it's, it's also kind of emblematic of the, the virtuous life. The more you practice a virtue, the easier it is. And the, and, um, the more a baseball player practices and is faithful to the process, the easier it is to um, to, to produce and the more his numbers go up. And, um, and if he's faithful to the process, even you know, Cody Bellinger will finally get his postseason hits. So for all those reasons, uh, that's you know, one of the reasons I think it's uh, spiritual. And I think there's also something about, um, you know, when you walk into a stadium and you see that green grass nicely manicured and the chalk lines and the dirt, there's really, it takes your breath away. Uh, not unlike perhaps walking into a beautiful church. I mean, I will even say this to all those Giants fans out there. I went to my first game at Oracle Park. Yeah, it's not Giants Stadium, it's Oracle Park. That's a little dig. But it took my breath away. It was so beautiful to see that field and to see um, it's a beautiful park and it's a great place to watch baseball. And, and um, I think people, people who really love baseball feel like it's, it is this kind of spiritual experience um, where you lose sense of time and one inning blends into another and you chit-chat with the people you're around, but you're also paying attention to what's going on on the field. And, um, and then you see that the players have reverence for each other. You know, in that last game, that, the next game, which was Bruce Bochy's last game as manager of the Giants. Um, Clayton Kershaw had this wonderful duel with Madison Bumgarner, these two great competitors. You could say rivals, arch rivals. And Clayton Kershaw, you know, he, Bumgarner ran a 3-2 count and then he hit a line drive to the third baseman for the third out. And Kershaw, as he was leaving the field, he looked over at Bochy and tipped his hat to him. And Boji did the same thing back. There's this kind of great respect for each other. Um, so I think there's there's this kind of code of ethics involved in this sport. And the truly great players truly respect each other. It's not personal. You'll even see them, you know, when the, when the, when a guy gets on first or second or third, they'll, they'll trade barbs with the um, with the first or second or third third baseman or shortstop. Um, it's highly relational. You know, um, uh, it's really about relationships, and you can have these great athletes, stud players, but if their attitude isn't one of, the, of being a team player, they can be really um, contagious, and you know, they can be a, a bad influence in the in the clubhouse. So, 
it's not just about numbers, it's also about spirit. And people talk about David Freeze now and the Dodgers as kind of this, he's 36 I think, and one of the wisdom figures. And, and people talk about how much, when he speaks, people just really listen to him. So there's the passing on from one generation to another, the wisdom. Chase Utley was like that too. He was the wisdom figure of the Dodgers before David Freeze. So there's kind of respect for tradition and wisdom and relationality. Um, so I think for all these, and I guess I would just say, um, you know, a theme in my own prayer life lately, my own life as a provincial, if you will, has been uh, we have to play the long game. And, and what I mean by that is, is you might have a bad day or a bad play or you might strike out, but you trust that if you're just, you just hang in there, things will turn around. And, and um, I think the life, the, the life with God is, is God plays the long game with us. We mess up, we make a mistake. God doesn't give up on us. Uh, God is right there with us and saying, you know, it's all right. You'll, a rainy day doesn't make a rainy season. Um, get back in there. And, um, and so I, I really take great stock in that adage of, of playing the long game. God plays the long game with us. And we have to play the long game with each other. And I, you know, I could react to things that people say or do. I could, um, you know, lose my temper. But that's to pretend as though it all depends on me or it all depends on the short game. And it doesn't. It's the long game. We, we stay and we hang in there with people. We hang in there with situations trusting that God is faithful to us and we are called to be faithful to God. So I, I really love that aspect of baseball. You found a lot in there uh, to reflect on. We could keep going, I'm sure. But for me, it strikes me as a, a very Ignatian way of seeing the world, that, again, searching to find God in all things, a very sacramental imagination, that we can find all this good for the spiritual life for our own lives in places maybe that would not be expected, uh, like in, in a baseball season. I uh, know I definitely, I also love the, the communal aspect and going to my first game as a five-year-old and seeing the grass, as you describe, and winning the game in the last of the ninth inning and high-fiving strangers for the first time and seeing what that was. and. The best experiences I've had at sporting events, baseball games in particular, the best experience at concerts, the best experiences at church have some things in common. Not that they are the same, but there are definitely some things in common about when people come together that uh, God takes delight in that, can only imagine. So um, we should, before I let you go, should I ask a little bit about your work? Uh, and this has been a little break from that to talk a little baseball, which is great. Uh, but again, here in Washington, and I know you're headed right back to that meeting in a couple of minutes. So just briefly, you're here for a few days doing a whole bunch of things, meeting together with the other provincials. You're all going to meet with a representative from the Department of Homeland Security to talk about immigration issues in this country. Now, what are some of the things you're working on? What are some of the big questions on the provincial's mind these days? Well, we just had a meeting, a very good meeting, with the uh, presidents of the 27 Jesuit universities and colleges of the country. And um, that was a great meeting. And that's an important apostolate for us. An apostolate is basically a way that we try to continue the work of Christ. Higher education, the universities are one of those for us. Um, the presidents and the universities are doing great work and trying to continue it and we want to be there with them and support them so it was a very good couple of days of meetings um, obviously the meeting with Kevin McAleenan coming up uh, the, uh, acting director of Homeland Security is important because uh, you know immigration is important people are important and people who seek this country 
um, as a refuge from danger, from life-threatening situations. That's an important value for us. So we feel some responsibility to speak to him about our values. Whether or not he changes policy or his mind is another question, but the act of speaking is, is really important. Again, it's about faithfulness to the process. Um, other things that are on our minds is always the, is the formation of younger Jesuits. We have been asked by our superior general to look at that, the way we form younger Jesuits and to always make it better. Um, and we have a number of other issues, you know, the, just the lives of Jesuits, how to care for Jesuits, uh, how to care for partners in ministry. Um, and then we also just meeting together, as we just also fraternally support one another. So in a lot of ways, it's like our own dugout. <laughs> you know, we get to gather and talk about plays and strategy and how could we do things better. Uh, it's a little bit like taking batting practice sometimes. Um, uh, but and we just enjoy each other's company to share meals together, etc. Terrific. My, my uh, fellow provincials put up with me in the living room at the place we're staying with all my Dodger gear <laughs> going ranting and raving at the television set. And I feel like I can completely do that because they, they won't judge me for it. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Well, hopefully uh, the blessed rest of your meetings here and that you travel back west with the victorious Dodger team. We can say that here from the protection uh, of this office where the Nationals fans outside I can't, can't hear. So uh, it's all the best to you. And thank you for your ministry and for taking the time. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you for this interview. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org. We're on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know is interested in discerning a vocation to join the Jesuits, visit us at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>